Mood swing? Yeah? You like that? You not like it? Wow, it's quiet, isn't it? I'm just telling you, I have been so pumped about this for the intro of this morning and this sermon. I played this on a loop 20 times on my way in this morning, just blaring it. The bass is bumping. People are looking at me a little weird. But uh, man, I just get excited. I am pumped to get here or just to be here and kind of unpack what we're doing and why you just heard that song. Um, But before we jump into, I don't know if you guys know this, but we actually do Facebook Live. So we broadcast this sermon uh, because we know summer's crazy, summer's busy, people are camping, people are traveling, vacation, whatever it is, wherever they are. Um, So they're actually live right now, so we just want to say welcome. If you're with Facebook or Facebook Live, if you're watching, we're just happy you're here. And uh, something for all of us to know, too, in case we're not here at some point this summer. So anyway, that song that I just played, um, some of you probably know what it is or what it comes from, what movie it comes from. Uh, So just by a show of hands, how many of you know what movie that comes from? Uh, For the rest of the people in the room to help them out, to clue them in. Uh, On three, say the name of the movie. One, two, three. The Greatest Showman. Look at this, man. This was a phenomenal movie. I loved this movie. I was skeptical going in. I see some of you with your arms still crossed. Like, I don't know if I like this in church. Uh, But Shannon and I, my wife and I, were babysitting a couple kids, and their parents left us money for food and for dinner. And we went, hmm, We could scavenge the fridge and then take them all to a movie, and that's what we did. We went to The Greatest Showman, and I just have to tell you, wow, it was phenomenal. Such a great movie, uh, inspiring, but this is why I like it, and this is why I'm talking about it right now, too, is The Greatest Showman, the premise of it is a guy named P.T. Barnum, who he's trying to, in show business, he's trying to make shows, he's just not making it, and then all of a sudden he gets this idea, and he's looking at people around him, and he's noticing some people, the people that often kind of are outcasts or kind of rejects of society, or, or they're different, they just look different, act different, or they have different talents that weren't necessarily recognized by those around him. He was looking at these people and said, I have a genius idea. I'm going to go get them all. I'm going to go recruit them. I'm going to put them all together, and I'm going to make a show out of it and take these things that, that in society so often for these people, like their gift or their talent or what made them unique or different was a setback. It didn't help them. They didn't like it about them, many of them. They didn't like it about themselves. And yet what P.T. Barnum did is he saw something in them and said, you're so different. You are so unique. People would love to see that. And so he brings it out of them, and he puts them all together on the show, and the show explodes. It goes crazy successful. It's, it's national. They're traveling all over the place. They're making crazy amounts of money, drawing huge crowds, and then it even goes beyond that, and it goes international, which is why a lot of us have heard the name P.T. Barnum before in regards to a circus. It's just, it blew up. It was unbelievable. But this is why I bring it up, because week one, if you're joining us today for the first time, or if you've been tracking with us even along the way, we're jumping into a new series today, and it's called Against the Grain. And so for the next four weeks, we're just going to talk about what does it mean to be different, but almost in a positive light. So as we follow Jesus and as disciples of Jesus, things that the world looks at and often says, okay, that's different, and maybe we like it or maybe we don't, but but we feel different or we don't fit in, we're going to talk about over the next four weeks, how do we live out our lives as disciples in a way that's different but powerful? So that's why I love this movie, The Greatest Showman. If you haven't seen it, you should go see it. But we're going to jump in. And the text that we're using as we dive into, like, against the grain in this series is Daniel. So we're going to jump into the life of Daniel. But to set it up, I want to set up the context for it. 
So context is uh, the empire of Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, heads over and conquers Jerusalem. Jerusalem is like the hub and the capital of Jews and Israelites at this time period. And so here's the Jews and here's the Israelites and they're living and they're serving God and things are good and their culture and their society is great and healthy, but now they're captured by a foreign empire. And so King Nebuchadnezzar moves in with his army and they besiege the city. They take over it. They cut off supplies to the city. And eventually the king, the king of Judah is what he was called, is removed. So King Nebuchadnezzar is now over, his reign is over and in charge of Jerusalem, which is really important because there's are Jews and Israelites, God's people, conquered by those that are not God's people. So the king of Babylon comes in, and the king of Babylon is smart. He's a wise king, and this is what he does. He comes in, and we're going to see this in the text. He identifies the smartest, brightest, most apt, whatever it is you can say, the best of the best, the cream of the crop in the teenage boys. And he was so strategic about it because he grabbed all these young men, he enlisted them in his service and said, we're going to train them, we're going to teach them, we're going to develop them, we're going to teach them how to farm and how politics work and policy works, we're going to teach them how to lead, we're going to teach them Babylonian culture and Babylonian history and architecture, we're just going to educate them our way, but taking the brightest and the best of the old culture, and we're going to make them like us for a number of reasons. One, you treat a king differently when your son or your nephew or their friends are in the king's palace. It's a different level of submission. A revolt against the king now endangers your kids or it endangers your people. So that's one strategy that the king is employing here by bringing these boys in. But another one is this. He's taking the best and the brightest those who people would already naturally follow. And he's educating them, and he's going to manipulate just a little bit, swing them the direction away from their Israelite heritage and their relationship with God, and swing it over to the heritage and culture of the Babylonians. And he's going to use it in the future to lead Babylon. It's remarkable. But let's jump in. Let's read this together. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. The best of the best, the brightest, good-looking guys. Let's bring them in. Let's put them all in. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, that's a fun one, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, if you grew up in church or if you grew up watching Veggie Tales or anything like that, 
you know where I'm going. There's an episode with a chocolate bunny, right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you are so lost right now. I apologize. You can YouTube it. But there's an episode, and it's Veggie Tales, and there's a chocolate bunny, and King Nebuchadnezzar says, worship the chocolate bunny. And these three, so where are they? Mishael, Azariah, Hananiah, and Dan, Daniel's later. These three, though, refuse to do it, and they are known as Rack, Shack, and Benny. Benny. Right? The rest of you are so lost. I'm sorry. Amen. Right? We're done. You can go watch it on YouTube now. Anyway, these three guys, which we're going to see later in this series, um, plus Daniel, become this core group of friends. As they're taken away, I mean, just imagine, just put yourself in their shoes for a second. Life's going great. You play ball with your friends on the weekend. Your parents are doing great. You're working. You're growing up. You're learning. You're in school. You're studying. Things are well. And then your community is conquered by a foreign empire. And that you are stripped away from your family. You're stripped away from your home. You're stripped away from school. Stripped away from everything that you know as familiar. And you're taken and you're carted off. And you're moved from one city, Jerusalem, or the city of your heritage, and you're moved to a foreign place, and that you're now living in a palace, and you're being educated in ways that you've never even learned about before. You didn't even know existed. And they're teaching you, and they're training you, but there's a piece in here. There were two of them that were so significant, but to us, it's so easy to gloss over them and miss them. The first one is this. It says the king, or Ashpenaz, the king's official, changed their names. And what's so important to Jews and what's so important to Israelites is that your name is very symbolic. It's not just a name even like we use today. Your name is a translation of something in Hebrew. So let me read these translations to you. Daniel, the Hebrew word for Daniel is translated this way. God is my judge. Hananiah, his name is translated the grace of the Lord. Listen to how God is in relationship to all of these names. Mishael, he that is the strong God. And Azariah, the Lord is a help. When these boys come in, it is so strategic and so intentional that the king changes their names because they're moving them in a direction subtly but strategically away from their roots away from their relationship with God, away from what's familiar, and slowly moving them towards the culture of the Babylonians. All of them are given new names to reflect the gods of the Babylonians. And so it's talking about Venus and the sun and different things that they worship. And so you're, you're a young boy, and you've grown up. You're a teenager. You're, you've grown up. This has been your name, but now you realize that your name has been changed, and it, it's, it's foreign to you. It doesn't speak to your identity, but you can just feel this. It, it's a subtle change. The other change that was so significant when these boys came in is this. And it, we could put it back on the screen here, Paul. But it says this, the food and the wine. The king provided food and the king provided wine to drink. Where is it at here? Right here. To bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Next one. There it is. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. This is so significant because the Israelites and the Jews, if there was something that set them apart from other nations all over the world, it was this. God said, in your food, you will be different. So the Israelites had laws. 
that they would follow, that were, that were given by God that says, this is what separates you. You're never to eat pork or of unclean animals. And there's a whole list of what unclean means, but you're not allowed to eat pork, and then you're also not allowed to eat meat with blood on it. So imagine now you're, you're gone, you've been removed, and you're sitting at the king's buffet table, and you're a teenage boy, and you've never had bacon in your life. <laughs> and it is in front of you as a buffet. What's going through your head? Just think about it. You've never had pulled pork. You've never had bacon. You've never had pork chops. You've never had any of this. And you're looking at it, and it's still sizzling, and it smells good, and it's in front. And the king says, welcome to my house. Have as much as you want. And here's what's happening, again, so strategically, is the king is making subtle changes and offering subtle things that the boys are so enticed to and so excited about and so drawn to that slowly moves them away from their roots and, more importantly, their relationship with God. That's why the food matters. So let's keep reading here. We're going to go to verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. This is so big and so important because here's four friends who have been removed and carted off and separated from everybody else. And now they're looking at all of these other boys that are just like them in the same phase, brought up in the same churches and synagogues, brought up with the same families, same heritage, same history, and yet they're all partaking in this. But it says this, but Daniel resolved... Daniel resolved. He drew a line in the sand, and he says, I may not have control over my name and what they call me, but I do have control of what goes in my body. My question for us today, just as we think for a second, is what's your resolve? Have you ever drawn a line in the sand? And as we look at culture that's around us today, or as we look at entertainment, or as we look at work, or as we look at family, or as we look at whatever it is that's in front of us, do you have a resolve in regards to your relationship with God? Is there a line that you don't cross? Is there something that's in place that's a barrier, or a boundary, or a protection that you just say, you know what? You can change a lot of things in my life, and some things I, I have control of and others I don't, but this is my resolve. I will not do this. Let's go to the next verse. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. It was his decision, not mine. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Let's go to the next verse. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, he said this, test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. I just think it's so interesting and so fascinating because this was a little decision. 
This was a little decision, a small crossroads in which Daniel and his friends had the opportunity and ability to decide to look like everyone else, to be like everyone else, to eat like everyone else, or to have a resolve and to stand up for something that they believe in and to stand up and defend their relationship with God. Here's a big point. The little things in life make a huge difference in the kingdom of God. So I have a bunch of pennies up here. I don't know if you noticed these. A um, bunch of pennies, and pennies by themselves, this is just like a little copper circle, right? We've all seen them before, but, but pennies don't have a lot of value by themselves, agreed? They're not that valuable. In fact, this is what I did this morning. I just really wanted to have fun with this illustration. I took some pennies and broke them off. I went to the bank. First of all, they look at you super weird when you're like, can I have a 1,000 pennies? I just need a 1,000. They're looking like, what, are you going to pay a parking ticket or something? So I get these pennies, and I show up this morning, and I break it, and I literally walk out to the parking lot. People are driving by on Plainfield. I bust them open, and I start scattering them like grass seed into the parking lot, going, I wonder if anybody's even going to notice these as you walk in. So there's money all over our parking lot. Some of you probably saw the pennies as you came in, and I know some of you, and you went, yeah, I'm not picking that up. That's gross. Right? Or what's the point? It's not valuable enough. What can you buy with a penny? Nothing to my knowledge. Not here. Not now. So penny, though, so small. We have these in our couches. We have them in our pockets. We have them in our seats, in the car. We have them in between the console. Right? They're just coated with French fries and grease. Right? We don't care. We don't touch them. But pennies, over time actually translate to a big difference. In fact, they make a really big difference. I, a couple of things. Can you bring those up for me? So, you've heard of the company before Krispy Kreme? Yes? Any fans? Anybody salivating right now, now that I brought that up? So everybody look under your seat. There's a coupon to Krispy Kreme. Just kidding. Don't look. This isn't Oprah, okay? <laughs> Welcome to Frontline. <laughs> Krispy Kreme. I love these. I love the. I thought about just showing you a picture, but I'm like, it's going to be even better and more satisfying to me when I can eat one of these after the sermon, right? But Krispy Kreme, that light goes on and people go nuts, right? Free donuts, free donuts. You know how much a donut costs, like a glazed donut? This feels lighter than when I gave it to you. Just saying. Oh, they're, they're all still there. Donuts. Last time I checked, donuts were like 83 cents. Just a normal, simple glazed donut from Krispy Kreme. I think 83 cents or somewhere at ballpark around there. Here's something crazy. Do you know that if Krispy Kreme raised their price per donut by one penny, you have any idea how much revenue that would translate into per year? Additional revenue. $27 million from a penny. Do you feel a penny? When you see it walking on, on the sidewalk or you're in the parking lot or you reach into your pocket, do you feel $27 million or do you feel kind of a worthless piece of copper that you can't do much with? But over time, or on a large scale, these pennies add up to make a huge difference. Here's another one. This one will blow your mind. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Not per can, per case. Per case of Coca-Cola sold all over the world. Any guesses how much their revenue would increase per year by adding one penny per case? Any guesses? $45 million a year. 
Here's the point. Pennies, over time, make a huge difference in a lifetime. And penny moments, this is what Daniel was faced with here in, in, in the scripture. Daniel and his friends are in the palace. They're in this new kingdom, and they're slowly being changed and manipulated. They're being given new names. They're offered different food. Their education just changed. And all these little, tiny, seemingly insignificant changes are happening to them and being thrust on them. But Daniel had a resolve because Daniel had the ability to see that a small decision a small crossroads in his life, a small, seemingly insignificant act of eating the food and the wine that was presented has the ability to change the trajectory of his life. He saw a penny moment, and he responded differently. What it means to live against the grain as we talk about this. This is why we're doing this series. What does it look like to live a life that is against the grain? And I, here's what I'm going to present to you today. I don't think it's found in doing the big, audacious, hairy decisions that aggressively oppose culture. In fact, a lot of us, when we see those on Facebook or we see them on the news, we resist those because it's like, oh, you're doing more damage than good. The amount of Facebook conversations that take place or picketing that takes place or just rebelling or revolting from whatever system has been put in place. I think oftentimes a life of faithfulness is found in the small, tiny, insignificant, seemingly insignificant decisions that we make in our life. Because over a lifetime of faithfulness and a lifetime of small, penny decisions can translate into a huge, huge difference in the kingdom of God. Little things matter a whole lot in the kingdom of God. Small decisions are so important not because it's about racking up as many pennies as you can, not because it's about getting a return on your investment, but because of this. Small things and small decisions are a reflection of our heart. It's a heart issue. It's not a legality issue. It's not a policy issue. It's not, not even so much a, like a command issue. It's a heart issue. What Daniel demonstrated and what his three friends demonstrated is that our heart is so focused on the Lord and any opportunity we have to live in a way that's against the grain, that's different than the way the rest of our friends look, that's different than our people look, that's different than our culture looks, but any small opportunity we have to invest in our relationship with God and to point people in his direction, God responds to that with an abundance, an abundance of humility, an abundance of love, an abundance of effect. God responds in huge ways to a lot of times seemingly small and insignificant decisions. Let's keep reading. Daniel 17 here. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The, the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. 
in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. Get this. He found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Our world longs for what only God can provide. And Daniel's faithfulness and his three friends' faithfulness has the ability to provide so much leadership, to provide so much character, to provide so much, um, I guess, leadership. Leadership's where I'm going with this. Provide so much leadership, not just for these four guys, but what we'll see as we play out through this entire series, as we go through different chapters of Daniel, is we will see that these guys making small decisions actually change the course direction of an entire nation and eventually the world. Daniel and his three friends are given the, the opportunity and ability to speak into matters of the king, that they become high advisors and they're over the kingdom. And, and here's the thing that I need to point out that we need to know is that the decisions we make, the small penny moment decisions, don't always mean life gets better. What we just read here, and we're in chapter one, keep this in mind, in chapter one of this story of Daniel, it says, man, they're, they're 10 times more apt, they're 10 times more qualified, 10 times more educated. They are just 10 times better than all the other competition of people just like them. But God honors their faithfulness and honors their decisions, and God raises them up, and here's what happens. It paints a target on all of their backs. And so what we see, you know, their names turn to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What we see for them is that they get thrown into a fiery furnace. It's like, great, we made small little decisions. One of these in the future, and we'll talk about this in the next couple weeks. But the king says, and this is the chocolate bunny episode for those of you who are still lost, wondering where this is going. What the king said is, this is an idol, and I want all of you to worship it. And it was another penny decision. And the three friends go, we're not buying down to that. It may seem small to you, and it may seem small to our friends, but we will not bow to something that's not our God. We're not interested. And the king threatens, and he says, this is what you're going to do. Bow or be thrown into the fire. And they say, fire it is. Daniel, in another regard, and we'll play this one out again later too, Daniel is praying, and he's so faithful in his prayer and his relationship with God, and he's so faithful that a whole other group of people in the nation turn their backs against Daniel, and they manipulate the king to pass a law that gets Daniel thrown into a lion's den, that get him to lose his life. And so this is what happens. Daniel says, I don't care what the law says. I don't care what the policy says. My relationship with God comes first, and it's these small things. He didn't make a scene of it. He didn't put a billboard up. He didn't walk around with a megaphone, but he stayed faithful in his room in the comfort of his own home and was praying, and these men found him, and they brought him before the king, and the king said, my hands are tied. And Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, not because of something big and drastic and crazy that he did, but something small. Penny moments are so significant. God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God delivered Daniel, but it doesn't mean their life got better. So as we think about this, and I just want to think about application too, what areas of your life are penny moments? What areas of your, of your life just seem small or they seem insignificant? Maybe that's entertainment that you watch. Maybe that's relationships with other people you have at work. Maybe that's relationship you have with your wife or your girlfriend or spouse. I'll say husband too. Maybe it's different in how you treat your kids. 
Maybe it's the education that they, that they go through. Maybe it's the movies you watch. Maybe it's the music you listen to. Things that are so seemingly small and insignificant are always a reflection of the heart. To swing the other direction, what are positive things that we can add into our lives that move us in the direction of our relationship with God? Do we have quiet time that's set aside just to spend with God? Just to study and to read our Bibles, to learn about him, to learn about the stories that make up scripture, to learn about Jesus and what Jesus taught and how to live. Do we make room in our lives for prayer or to study the Bible with our spouse or girlfriend or friends? Do we have friendships in our lives that hold us accountable, that push us toward the direction of our relationship with God? Because penny moments are significant. They add up and eventually make a huge difference over a lifetime of faithfulness. Here's a question that I just want to add as we're getting towards the close. What are the little things in life that can make a huge difference for you? Cool story that I was told earlier this week. Uh, there's a guy on our staff named Bill. So Bill oversees the facility here. We have a huge building, and so Bill's role is a big role. But Bill was sharing with me how just within the last couple weeks, they went to a restaurant. They're eating dinner, just like a lot of us do. They didn't walk in with a megaphone or a picket sign or a billboard or anything, but, but they're Christians, and they follow Jesus. And so this is one thing that they just decided to do. Is they said, you know, God has just blessed us like crazy recently. And so there's three of us at the table. We just want to take time, set it aside, and just pray together as a family. We just want to thank God for what he's doing in our lives and thank him for what he's doing through his church and, and how he's making a big impact. And so this is what they do. They just pray quietly. They don't get the attention of the restaurant and say, hey, we're praying. Everybody keep it down for about five minutes. Thank you. They just quietly, humbly at their table, they start praying. Here's what happens. This got weird. Waitress is walking by. Waitress sees them praying and goes, I need to talk to them. Waitress walks over and says, hey, um, would you guys be willing to pray for me? And they go, yeah, sure, we, we'd love to pray for you. Is there something specific you want us to pray for? And she grabs a chair from another table and sits down at their table. And you're like, oh, man, what? hope the manager doesn't walk by. Or, you know, in my head, I'm like, discount? Is this a discount when the bill comes? I don't know. So she sits down. And she starts asking questions, and she's just saying, okay, this is where I'm at. Would you guys pray for me? But more importantly, would you pray for my mom? My mom was just diagnosed with cancer. And you just imagine the emotion sitting at the table in a restaurant, not assuming anything, not looking to do anything, not trying to make a statement, but just saying, God, we're so faithful to you, and we want to thank you for what you're doing. But it's this penny moment of regardless of what people think about prayer or praying before meals or praying in a restaurant or praying in a public place, regardless of what people think, this is important to us. We're going to pray. And what I love to see and God does this so faithfully time and time again, is he moves in the direction of those who are willing to make small, penny-moment decisions. And he uses them in super powerful ways. Bill was just telling me, you know, this girl, they were able to connect her to a local church because this was away from here. It wasn't even in Grand Rapids. They were able to get her connected to a local church. She's regularly attending. She's in a small group, and she's bringing friends to come and have a experience, a relationship with God, all from a penny moment, from one small decision that a family made to say, we can be faithful to God in the little things. 
what are the little things that make a huge difference in your life? Is it time set aside for prayer? Is it encouragement to your spouse at home? Is it how you invest in your kids? Is it your church attendance over a summer? What's the line in the sand that you draw that seems small and seems insignificant, but over time, these add up? What are these penny moments that God may be calling you to look at and examine in your own life? Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for what you're doing and what you're up to in our church, and in our context, in our culture, in our nation right now, and in the lives of us as individuals. God, we live in a unique time where the church isn't loved, that the church is often neglected or attacked. And God, it can be dangerous or it can be scary or it feels like we risk a lot when we live, even in the small decisions, when we live against the grain and we do stuff the way that you've called us to do it, whether that's quiet time or our relationships or how we treat each other or how we talk on Facebook or whatever it is. But God, we just pray that in the small moments of life, that you would honor those and move in our direction when we're faithful. I pray just for course corrections that need to take place, things at home or things that haven't been shared or things things that are a problem in the lives of so many people here in our church. I just pray that those would come to mind and that these penny moments, these small decisions where we've sacrificed and turned the opposite direction, I pray that you would give us a course correction and bring us back to you. And Father, just like Brad shared earlier today, I just pray for an urgency to take what we've been given and to reach the lost. This is so your heart and your heartbeat for your church. It's the plan design all along. And I just pray that you would bring us opportunities that when we're faithful in the little things and in the small things, that you would honor those and that you would use them in a powerful way to reach more and more people who don't yet have a relationship with you. Father, we love you so much. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.